I'm Robin Gallagher and welcome to Ripples. Throughout our program, a series of guest speakers will share words of wisdom from their life experience and we will offer you a series of meditations so that you can take some time just to stop and listen to that voice within, that voice of the Spirit. So come and enjoy some inspired voices and treasured stillness and allow the ripple effect to begin. I am delighted to welcome Father Kevin Bates to the program today. Kevin Bates is the parish priest of Holy Name of Mary Parish in Hunters Hill in Sydney. He was born in Geelong, Victoria, and was ordained as a Marist priest in Melbourne in 1972. Over the years, he has been involved in a broad and exciting range of ministries. He has been a lecturer, a facilitator, a retreat leader, and was the director of the Marist Centre in Toongabby and later the Aquinas Centre in Sydney. In the early 1990s, he lived in Wollongong and travelled extensively around Australia and beyond, conducting retreats for primary and secondary school students, staff groups and parish-based groups. Over these years, he has also composed, published and recorded beautiful music which has been shared at countless masses, weddings and funerals. Throughout the years, Kevin's ability to walk with others, to listen to their pain and to empower them to use their gifts has been so clearly evident. I welcome Kevin today as he shares his story of offering a loving and empowering presence to all those he meets. Kevin, it is wonderful to have you on our program today. Welcome. Thank you, Robin. Lovely to be I'm very delighted to be here. Oh, thank you, Kevin. I've, I've known you for many years and have admired you from first-hand experiences and, and also from afar. And each time I've met you, I've been struck by your energy, your presence, and your general love of people and your faith. You have an extraordinary gift for walking with others, both in your ministry as a parish priest, as well as with, with people in places of pain. But before I explore this further with you today, I wanted to chat about your connection to our diocese here in Wollongong. I was delighted to hear about your history and connection to Holy Spirit in Balambi. And for those who are listening outside the diocese, Holy Spirit in Balambi is one of our secondary schools. So, Kevin, can you tell us a bit about your connection to Holy Spirit? Sure. Um, I have precious memories of living at Balambi. And when I was a baby priest, when my hair was much darker than it is now, <laughs> in 1973, I lived at Balambi and taught at the school for six months. Is that right? And our priests, one of our priests who'd uh, taught ancient history, he died. And I'd done about five minutes of it at Macquarie Uni. <laughs> so they counted me there to teach year 11 ancient. And so I was about five pages ahead of the blokes in the class. Was it not at the time, St. Paul's? But it was a wonderful period, that little period in my life. And then again, in, from 1989 to 92, I lived at Balambi in the community house there. The Marist Fathers were still there. By then it was Holy Spirit College. And I wasn't officially involved at the school, but I did some pseudo-chaplaincy work and did retreats with kids and teachers. And I, during that period, I was travelling around the country quite a bit as well. Yes. But uh, again, I had a, a lovely four or so years living at Balambi there and... Uh, and uh, found, it, found it a, a lovely home. 
Oh, yeah. well, it's, it's just wonderful to hear that connection, Kevin. Yeah, and yeah. there are many other schools in the diocese and beyond which have a Marist connection. And, and this charism evidently impacts the culture of, of a school. Yes. I just wonder, you know, what aspects of, of this of the Marist charism enable it to remain just so current and relevant today? It's a pretty simple spirituality, Robin, our Marist spirituality. Our, our founder, our Marist father's founder, Father Jean-Claude Collin, had a great devotion to, to Mary, but more to the point, he, he not only wanted us to have that devotion, but he wanted us to to do what Mary did, to do Mary's work, he would say. And so he saw her in the pages of the gospel, not appearing very often, but everywhere she went and every time she appears, she's enabling the word to become flesh. She's supporting Jesus, his ministry, mm. all from, from the incarnation right through to Pentecost. And he didn't, in the light of that, he didn't want us running the church. He wanted us to be like Mary in the church being quietly present and supporting the church rather than being in charge. Mm. So our, our spirituality very much comes from that, from the, as I said, not so much having devotion to Mary, although we do that, of course, but it's, it's, it's more to do Mary's work yes. and to give birth to God's word as she has done in our time. Yes, it's a beautiful way of, of seeing it and, and expressing it, Kevin. Yes, that and it's very, it's very, very human. Mm. And very unassuming, really. Mm. Not complicated. Yes. It's not overly, I don't know what word to use, it's not overly religious, I suppose. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's about relationship. Yes, and yes. And about connection, mm. between, enabling that connection between people and the sacred. Yes. And people and God. Yeah, there's a gift in that simplicity, I would yes. say, too. Very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yes. And Kevin, as I said before, I, I've seen you walk with others in so many ways. I, I visited your parish recently, and at your parish door, there was a massive lineup of bags filled with food items being donated to, to those in need. Um, but I'm also aware of your youth groups, music ministry, social justice initiatives, and your par parish podcast. And this only scratches the surface. You know, you seem to have this ability to see to see the good and and the potential in others, and and to draw this out of them. I heard a recent comment in one of your parish podcasts where you said that you encourage and welcome opportunities for others in the parish to to take ownership, particularly in areas where they have some sort of passion or expertise. Can you share something about this experience of walking and empowering others in a parish context, and and how this has been taken up in different ways? Yes, it's it's, uh, it's it's really central to my ministry here in the parish, Robin. And prior to prior to being here in the parish, it was central to my ministry and the other work I was doing as well. But here, uh, from day one, I've seen myself as ministering with the people, rather than to them, and rather than for them. Mm. And so my leadership style in the parish has been very much about creating a certain space where the people have ownership of the parish. And um, I always see myself as the parish priest is just passing through. Although I've been here a long time now, it's my 14th year, which is a bit unusual, but it's been a, a wonderful journey to just be in this community and to, to watch people grow in their faith and in their confidence. And as we've got to know and trust each other, 
um, you know, they're telling me how to run the joint now. Uh, tell, well, in the sense that yes. they're often coming up with ideas, suggestions, um, ways we could improve our ministry and our mission to each other. And so, so some of those groups you mentioned were in existence when I came, some were not. Yes. And some have been begun out of the out of the proposals from our parishioners, you know? Yes, they've come up with the ideas and, and flown with them. Yeah, and, and so uh, so a lot of our parish groups now, we've got over 23 of them or so, um, they, uh, they, I'm there supporting them, um, I suppose, um, helping to keep them going. However, they all have people in charge of them who are, who are, who are, who are driving, driving them forward, you know? Yes. And, and they know that we, we trust each other. I think that's a big thing. We're in, I'm in a parish where there are many, many gifts. We're very blessed with the giftedness of many of our people, mm. uh, including their generosity of spirit, and their great faith. Mm. So it's, it's, uh, it's been, a, been a real joy to enable this kind of development to occur. Yes, I can hear that and, and see that. And I, I can see that it's, it's so much through relationship and that Absolutely. building of capacity and then people just fly. Kevin, when people speak about you, they inevitably express how wonderful you are with people and how compassionate you are. And I've seen this firsthand, how you walk with people in, in very vulnerable moments. Yes. What, what do you believe is needed in order to be able to walk with others in their pain? It's a key. It's, it comes from the heart of the gospel, Robin. You know, the Jesus' healing ministry along with his teaching and his behaviours and his great stories, his healing ministry is key to his presence in our world. Mm. And, 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 and in times of our pain and suffering, we need him there. And so as, as the minister of the gospel, I see it as a great privilege to be standing on other people's sacred ground, mm. you know? Mm. And I see myself very much as a guest uh, in, in times of bereavement or crisis or whatever it is that they're going through. And that requires a, a lot of listening and stepping back and stepping out of my own world and allowing their world to be the agenda. Uh, so important. Often in conversation with friends and that will tell a story and someone else will go, oh, yeah, that's like when I, you know. And yes, you, yes, you know, it's common. We had the same thing happen to my mother, that kind of stuff. We, I think it's important not to play that game when we're accompanying people in ministry and to allow their story, their sacred story, to be centre stage and for them to know that that's how you're treating it is really important. And my role really is a lot of listening. And once in a while, maybe... Um, I get the chance to shine the light of the gospel there somehow uh, with a little word or with a thought or a suggestion or, you know. Mm. It, 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 it ain't rocket science, yes. but it's a very delicate art. Yes, it is. And, and to stand compassionately with people and, and, and to allow, as I say, to allow their stories to speak to me and for me to listen um, with real attentiveness. It's so important. Mm. Uh, often in the church, We've tended to make the mistake of coming into people's lives with our bunch of stuff and, you know, our, our, our Ten Commandments and Seven Sacraments and Two Collections, as I call it, and, and, and sort of impose our, 
the temptation to impose our, our values or our, our teachings that uh, the ministry require, requires us to step back. A beautiful image in Philippians that St. Paul uses. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't cling to that, but emptied himself until yes. we could to each other. You know, yes. that, that's for me always, yes. to empty myself so that I can then be, be, be there with the other people. Yeah. It is it is such it is sacred ground, as you said, Kevin, isn't it? It is. Yes. Oh yes, and it needs to be treated as such. Mm. Yeah. What what over the years as you've as you've entered into this, what, what has sustained you? Because I can only imagine it, I mean that level of attentiveness and presence, what, what has sustained you in that? Good question, Robin. It, it's um being able to step away from it then, yes. you know, not yes. to be consumed, you know, yes, or to use a, an image that might be apt for teachers and principals, not to take my work home, you know, yes, to step up a little bit and to realise that I, I too have a life mm. outside of this situation that I'm in with these people. Mm. That sustains me to go back to my own life, to my own friendships, my reading, and my recreation, mm. and, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to step step back and uh, come back to my own life a bit, mm. and, and my own prayer, of course, to yeah. to where I, where I entrust everything into God's hands, then and say, well, whatever has taken place there, I'm relying on you to go and do the work now. Yes, you know? hand and, over, hand over. I suppose that that sustains me too. That it's never about me. Yes, and it's never about me. Mm. And it's so easy in ministry to be seduced into thinking it is about you, you know, yes, when is. people praise you or thank you and so on. And you can get puffed up and think, oh, well, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But that's a distraction. Yeah. In all my ministry, I pray constantly. Say every time before I celebrate Eucharist, for instance, I ask the Lord to help me get out of the way yeah. so, so, so that God and his people can have time with each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Even though I'll be using whatever gifts I have. Yes. I'm putting them at that service rather than rather than doing a Kath and Kim saying, look at me, look at me, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's a beautiful way of describing it, Kevin. As I look back over my own life, I, I see many moments where I've fallen fallen over but I, I then do my best to get up and, and keep going yes as you look back over your own life and and the challenges you've faced what has helped you to to get up and and keep going that's a great question because mm. falling over times my falling over times um some of which I still feel shame about you know oh. and then, we've, we've all got them if we you do. haven't we do you think I could lend you some but it's it's a uh, We've all got them, and they they humiliate us. Um, but our, our wounded self is just so precious. Um, it, it's a wounded saviour that we remember on the cross. It wasn't one of his better days, you know. Yes. And, uh, and and it's uh, and he got over that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So so it, it, our wounds are not terminal. That's one thought. Our, our wounds are precious too because it's where the Holy Spirit seems to be able to get at us because we're broken. Yes. And we 
we're needy, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're crying out in our pain, mm -hmm. and it's where we know that we are not self-sufficient, and we are not we are not the centre of human history, mm. nor, nor the centre of our own story, you know. Yes. And so the, those wounded times are very have been very precious learnings for me, and been points of great great growth, I think. And yes. uh, along with that is that the hell of a big challenge of forgiveness. Mm. One of the, with that great Elton John song, Mercy, sorry seems to be the hardest word. And mercy seems to be the hardest thing to do to oneself, you know? Mm, I do. Um, we have trouble forgiving ourselves because we know our wounds from the inside where no one else knows them. Mm. And I do too. And they're very, very humbling. And so to be able to forgive ourselves and to know that God's mercy can manage anything that we throw at him, mm. you know? To yeah. me, that sustains me and uh, uh, that faith. And uh, but, and also the fact that um, in the middle of all that woundedness, uh, I've still I'm still been I've still been able to do some good with people, you know. Yes. And, and that I see that I'm still able to to journey effectively with people as as a, as a person and, and and as a priest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. Was reading something recently. I think it was by Richard Raw, and he was saying that very thing that in the course of any one day, we'll often go to both of those places, our most vulnerable or broken, and then, uh, you know, a few moments later, to to a place of great, you know, great joy or great um, great heights in a way. Yes. You know, and in in any day, it's part of the tapestry of who we mm. are. Mm. Yes. There's that beautiful, um, in South America, they talk about weaving those rugs. And you may have heard the story, but they say with those big rugs, they intentionally leave a fault in each rug. Yes. And they say, you know, where the fault lies, the spirit gets in. Yes. And uh, it's, it's, as you said, so beautifully, it's where yes. some great work can, can happen in us. Yes. Great growth. Yes. Mm. And then it's a reminder that I'm not complete. Yeah. Yes. That, that, yes. That it's beautiful, and that's that's it. I'm not complete. Yes. Still a few things to be uh, yes. fixed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kevin, we've we've also connected many times over the years through our music. Yes. And I know that um, you've you've been involved in music in so many different ways through um, playing and composing, and I've had the great privilege of playing your your music at many masses and weddings over the years. Could you share a little bit about how music and composition became such a big part of your life? Sure, Robin. I, I learned classical piano as a kid in Geelong, which is where I'm from, um, with the Brigidine sisters. I had three wonderful nuns taught me there. And uh, I also had a, a good ear. So I was always playing the, you know, the pop music of the day by ear as well. And one of the, my, the sisters who taught me, Sister Fidelis, she was just beautiful. I did her funeral a few years ago. Oh. And as she in Melbourne, a wonderful, wonderful woman. But she knew I was playing rock and roll and she encouraged me to keep doing it, you know? How as wonderful. As well as teaching me about Haydn and Mozart and the other fellas, you know? And so I learned piano as a kid. And then in the seminary, we started learning using guitar. So I taught myself guitar along with a couple of other blokes and I picked up a flute and I realised I could play that a bit too. So that's, I've been able to do that a bit. And so in the seminary, 
I think I wrote some parts to a mass that will forever be forgotten. And, uh, you know, I didn't take it that seriously. And then a lot long after I was ordained, after my first time at Balambi, I was in the US doing post-grad studies. And uh, the cathedral at Oakland in California were in need of a piano player. We had a workshop there. So I, I volunteered to play for a Sunday and they hired me for the last period of the time I was there. Oh, wonderful. It was a great experience. They had a, 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 a choir, an, or, an organist, a little jazz band and me. And so we'd play everything from soul music to what, uh, traditional, conventional, liturgical music. And um, at Easter time, they needed a couple of songs for a uh, pantomime they were doing. I still remember it about butterflies and caterpillars. And I wrote them and they actually used them. Oh. I thought, oh, <laughs> I got a surprise. Just little <gasps> children. And from there I started writing. Oh. And, uh, and, and uh, I haven't stopped really, although I've slowed down a bit in the last year or two. So my newest album came out last year for my 14th album. And over the years, when I was my gypsy days, as I call them, before I was in the parish, I travelled the country a lot, including some of the schools in the Wollongong Diocese, where I was asked to write school songs. That became a bit of a growth industry. Yes. I yes. great time working with the kids um, and putting, putting a little song together with them, you know, that captured yes. their spirit. So the music has always been woven into my ministry. It hasn't been, it's never been my main focus. People will hear my name because they know my songs and think that's it. But the music has really just been woven into the rest of my ministry mm. as part of it, you know? Oh, yes. That's a precious part it's been. It's sustained me and given me joy. And it's also one I'm still using in my ministry here in the parish, you know? Yes. I've got a nice keyboard that we got for the church. And uh, sometimes at the end of a homily, um, when I, if I've got a song in my back pocket that seems apt, and I'll, I'll throw that in at the end of the oh. homily. And and it was interesting when I first came, the people would clap. So I thought, how do we stop them doing that? Because I wanted them to focus on the what they were hearing. So I just I would invite them at the end of the song, just sit quietly for a moment or two and reflect. So anyway, the clapping stopped and it's never come back. So I'm pleased. So people oh. have got it now that it's part of it. What a gift. What a yeah. gift. I've, I've seen in, in so many different contexts the way music has that power to heal. You know, songs yes. can provide a language to, to express our own deepest feelings. And I think it's in these words or, or music our pain is met. And I see that particularly in young people today. You know, what, what's been your experience of, of, of the healing power of music? Yeah. Oh, gosh, again and again and again. It reaches beyond words. Aristotle, I don't know if Aristotle was a musician or not, but he maintained that music was found in the soul. Mm. You know, when we make music together, um, a certain covenant happens. might be only for a brief time, but a certain covenant happens. And, and, and we engage with each other at a, at a level that is beyond words. Mm at a level that says, um, I understand you and you understand me. Like There's a, a common language that we have. And the healing element of it is so important. And you think immediately of funerals and things when you think of healing, but at other times, music in retirement villages, you know? Yes. A music in school where, you know, it just, it just breaks, breaks down 
our fears and our fears of each other and little barriers. When we make music together, we trust that life is good. Yes. You know, I can remember, it just, just comes to mind immediately, my youngest brother, Philip, it'll be 10 years this year since he died. And I always remember it because it was the day before Geelong beat Collingwood in the grand final. So that's oh. I remember his anniversary. <gasps> but he was in hospital dying. There was this chap, and you've, I've heard it in other places too, this guy would come around with a harp and play his music. And what that did for our family, it's uh, so I'm feeling moved even, remembering it now. Absolutely, Kevin. Right, my, because my baby brother is an alcoholic, you know, yeah. and we were going through great sadness. Mm. He was about to leave us. Mm. But that music just settled our souls, you know. Yes, I do. It's the most gentle, gentle gift. Mm. Mm. So the music certainly does have a great healing capacity. Yes. Yes. Very, very yeah. precious story, Kevin. Yes. And, and once again, Rob, it's the music that, it's not the music that says, look at me, look at me again. You know, it's the music that says, look into yourself. Mm. Invites us to look into our own hearts, you know. Yes. Almost without, well, without saying it. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Kevin, you've alluded to this in numerous ways as, as we've spoken, but what, what brings you joy? What are the things that bring oh. you joy or where you feel most fully alive? I mean, I can see it in so much of what you've said, but sure. what brings you joy? It's a simple question to answer, but a hard one in a way. Mm. Robert, it's... Um, Everything, the beauty of nature, mm. the beauty of a child's smile, the, a witty comment from a kid, um, the, the, the smile of an elderly person who, 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 who responds with warmth, um, the music, of course, the love of people, you know, the care of people. That brings me great joy. Yet the notion that life is a gift. Mm. And that brings me joy, and, and that includes our sufferings. Everything is part of God's gift to us, every breath. Mm. I, I currently, in my older age, have breathing problems, but I'm grateful to be still breathing, you know? Yes, yes I know? do. My starting point is life is a gift. I'm yes. prone to take joy in just about everything. Yeah. You know? Yes. Even the simplest things, like a, a, a random smile from a stranger, an act of courtesy in the traffic when I'm driving from someone um, to a piece of music to share standing before a couple as they get married when they really do get married. You know, it's the most moving thing. And, and, and to conduct a funeral with a family where their faith is going to sustain them, that brings me great joy. Mm. I suppose at the end of that, my own faith brings me great joy. This exciting puzzling journey with the darkness of faith, with the unknowable God. Mm. It's like a lifelong wrestling match with mystery. Yes. And that's great fun. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I've heard you sort of say numerous times, you know, that the spirit is moving. The spirit is moving in our church yes. and in our world very much. And, uh, you know, we don't always know where it's taking us, and then that's the mystery. Yes. But... There's great things happening. There are. Exciting things happening. And, Kevin, where, where do you see some of these signs of the spirit moving or 
or taking us today? Oh, gosh. In a lot of different places, Robin, like certainly, certainly in the people of my own parish, but in movements all around the world that are coming from the ground up, uh, the questions that people are raising, questions we weren't allowed to ask even 20 years ago, that people are still persisting with asking. Uh, people, people expressing their longings for the church to be better, to be more what it is meant to be. And I hear those same questions coming from Pope Francis. Yes. His, his recent book, Let Us Dream, beautiful conversation with his uh, biographer following in response to the COVID experience. Well worth the read. It's like him sitting there chatting to us. Oh. And he, he shares our questions and our longings as well. And that gives me great hope. Um, but I, I've said to our people, I'd really like to pop back in 100 years or so and see what's happened. Mm. I think it'll be real different and I think it'll be real good. Mm. You know, and there'll be smaller communities operating and, you know, the systems that we've absolutized in the church. There's a lot that needs to die. The church is a big, slow bureaucracy and Francis is finding that out, of course. Mm. So it's a difficult ship to turn around. However, we need to do it. Realize, and it, it's very easy to get caught up in our own egos there and our own visions of what the church should look like. Mm. Um, I think we need to, again, a bit like I was saying before about being on people's sacred ground, we need to step back and listen and wait and have our say and listen to each other again, keep the conversations going. Because mm. in conversation, I'm open to change. Yes. In real conversation. And so we need to keep having these conversations in the church. Mm -hmm. rather than proclamations mm -hmm. you know? yes I do and, and, and there's a lot of that going on in, in different cultures mm -hmm. all around the world and sometimes it's leading to conflict and that's healthy mm -hmm. sometimes it's leading to misunderstandings but the church where the bureaucracy still imagines or seems to imagine that it's in charge you're hearing people thinking they're still the, the boss of things. Yes. Um, but only Jesus is at the heart of it. Once I start taking my role as a priest or a principal or a bishop or whatever the hell I am and, and taking that too seriously mm. and thinking that I'm, I'm the last word, then we're in trouble. Mm. We, need to, we need to have a listening heart together. Mm. Because as you said a minute ago, we don't know where the Spirit's taking us. Mm. We just don't know. And that's part of the excitement of it all. Yes. But I have a profound faith in the goodness of God's people, in the goodness of God's people and their readiness to explore where our faith needs to be. Yes. The direction yes. our community needs to go. Mm. So I really would like to come back in 100 years. Oh, um, I share that sentiment, Kevin. Yes, I share so that. that. See, every big council in the church's history usually takes a couple of hundred years to reach fruition. Well, the Vatican Council is only 60 or so years behind us, so we've got to be patient still. Mm. You know, a lot of the work that, that was done at that council, some of it was undone as a reaction. Now we're gently trying to find some of it again. It's, it's, there's always tension in this stuff. It's part of the human drama. Yes. And, uh, and uh, God's patient, so we've got to be too. Yeah. Yes. A beautiful way of saying it, Kevin. Kevin, I can't thank you enough. You know, you speak about the importance of having a, 
a, a listening heart and I just see you as someone who has such a listening heart, who is open to conversation, open to the questions and just so open to walking with people wherever they're at. And I found that both personally and have observed that in so many different ways. So I, I just can't thank you enough for your generosity and your presence today, Kevin. It's been a delight sitting with thank you and talking with you today. Thanks so much, Robin. It's been, been a delight and a joy for me too, just to have this conversation where we, we think about what, what is really important, you know, and to have the chance to just reflect on that. It's been great for me too. So thank you. Thank you very much. And I wish you and your parish the very best and I uh, look forward to, to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you so very much, Kevin. You bet. You're very welcome, Robin. God bless you and all your listeners too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining our program today. If you would like to take some time now or later in the week to enjoy some treasured stillness, a meditation called Seeing the Gifts is available on both Podbean and on Apple Podcasts and is entitled Meditation 29. Have a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next time.